Top three items on today's Cigar Dave show. Number one, big court win for the cigar industry. Number two, Boris Johnson goes beta and is about to go bye bye And number three, new cigar launches. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant. The five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in both Corojo and Maduro presentations, fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com and buy... Davidoff of Geneva, and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of traditions. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show with the General. Much going on in the world of cigars and in the world of alpha male pleasure maneuvers. As always, it is Cigar Dave, your global five-star general, alpha male in chief, front and center. From Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, extending you, as always, my long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure and screw... The Wussified Betas. Well, number one, a big, big victory for the cigar industry. The, the cigar industry has been under attack by the FUDA for the last at least decade, maybe a little bit longer. And there has been court cases back and forth and rulings back and forth, but this past week, a very, very big ruling in favor of the cigar industry. Judge... Amit Mehta of the D.C. Circuit Court, interestingly an Obama appointee, very lib, ruled in favor of the cigar industry. He ruled that the FDA acted improperly in the regulation of premium cigars. Huge, huge win. This was part of a lawsuit between the Cigar Association of America, the Cigar Rights of America, and at the time the International Premium and Cigar Pipe Retailers Association, now called the Premium Cigar Association, versus the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Initially filed seven years ago, 2016, in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. This, by far, is the largest win for the premium cigar industry in court. In his ruling, Judge Mehta ruled the FDA did not properly adhere to the requirements of the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, by simply ignoring the fact there was data about premium cigar usage. When the FDA, correction, the FUDA, announced its preliminary plan to regulate cigars in 2014, it proposed two options, and we talked about it at the time. One would have treated all cigars the same, known as option one. Option two would have allowed some cigars to be termed premium cigars to be exempt from regulation. Clearly, the cigar industry wanted option two. As part of the process, the FUDA asked the public and industry for comments. Specifically, was there any evidence that would support exempting premium cigars per their option two? Of course, 
there was massive amounts of data provided by the cigar industry, by interested parties, saying adults smoke cigars. Adults smoke cigars in moderation. Children and kids do not smoke cigars. Cigars are not marketed to kids. Cigars are an occasional indulgence. They are very different than cigarettes. Of course, you had the enemy of pleasure groups all filing saying that cigars are the same as cigarettes and should be regulated as such, and we all know that's bullshit. But remember, to them, tobacco is tobacco is tobacco. Never mind that a cigar is enjoyed by adults in moderation, not enjoyed as an addiction like cigarettes. So the FDA claimed despite all the information that was provided by the cigar industry and related parties, there was no evidence that would support exempting premium cigars, when specifically there was loads of evidence. And Judge Maida specifically pointed out a comment made by the Cigar Rights of America, the CRA at the time, and that comment pertained to the usage patterns of premium cigars, specifically that the overwhelming majority of cigar connoisseurs consume less than one cigar per day. The average is maybe one a day, some are two a week, some are three a week, and that consumers of cigars, cigar connoisseurs, did not inhale. We've been talking about that for ages on this show, whenever I would get a call over the last 27 years. By the way, Yesterday was the 27th anniversary of the Cigar Dave Show. I just remembered that. Friday, July 8th, the 27th anniversary. I remember the very first time I sat down to conduct broadcast maneuvers way back July 8th of 1995. One hour in the Cigar City on 620 WSUN at the time. The show was called Smoke This. I was Dave, your cigar connoisseur, had no clue whether we'd get three listeners, five listeners, 10 listeners, 1,000 listeners. And I had, uh, at the time, Dan Ramirez, the general manager of Edwards Pipe and Tobacco, a long-time institution in the cigar city of Tampa, great, uh, great cigar tobacconist. And I said, Dan, we're probably not going to get any calls. So let's have a lot of history on cigars in Tampa. And we had all our material, well, as to quote Joe Biden, well, son of a bitch. No joke. No, I'm serious, man. No joke. At the time, within maybe a minute, I, I announced the number. All of a sudden, I start to see, I think we had six incoming lines at WSUN at the time, and I see one flashing light. I'm like, oh, good, we got one call. We're way ahead of the game. Then two, then three, then every line was jammed. It was crazy. And here we are, 27 years later. Of course, we've broadened to talk about the alpha male lifestyle talk about other issues, but certainly have to celebrate 27 years of conducting alpha male pleasure and broadcast maneuvers, and now podcast maneuvers. But getting back to what I was saying, and I've been saying this for years and years, cigar connoisseurs do not inhale. Whenever I've received a call from lieutenants and alphas saying, General, I'm new to cigars, give me, give me some pointers. And the first thing I tell them is, take your time. Do not inhale. And whenever I would get a call from a cigarette smoker who said, General, I want to give up cigarettes and I want to smoke cigars, my first answer, without any hesitation, would be, 
you quit uh, cigarettes for at least a year, then you call me back. Because all you will do is substitute another habit for your cigarette habit. And cigars are not a habit. They are a pleasure. They're an occasional indulgence. We're gone are the days when people smoke like my grandfather's cigar Abe. Five, six cigars a day. Nobody does that anymore. We don't have the time. There's more smoking restrictions, smoking laws, smoking regulations. But I've always stated, never inhale. And so the CRA at the time provided that information to the FUDA. And they said that cigar connoisseurs do not inhale premium cigars. They smoke in moderation, not marketed to kids. And even though that's the exact data that the FUDA was looking for, they concluded, they came up with the statement saying that there was no included data indicating that premium cigar smokers are not subject to disease risk and addiction. Well, Judge Mehta took exception to that. And he said that the FUDA did not properly look at that data, and it was capricious. He said that they acted, the FUDA acted arbitrarily and capriciously when there is, in fact, pertinent record evidence and the agency ignores or overlooks it. So, what does that mean, ultimately? Well, it does not change any cigar regulations for now. Cigar manufacturers still have to pay user fees. One of the other regulations that was put in by the FUDA was that they could no longer hand out free samples. In fact, if they wanted to give free cigars away to the Cigars for Warriors project, they no longer could do that. It's ridiculous. So there still is a prohibition on free samples. The pre-market approval requirement, which is known as substantial equivalence, as of now remains unenforceable. And that goes back to a ruling August of 2020, the judge made it that still remains in effect. And what that said is, you cannot introduce a new cigar unless it is substantially equivalent to a cigar that was already on the market prior to, I think, the Family Smoking Prevention Act, which goes back like 15 or 16 years ago. It's ridiculous. So essentially, cigar manufacturers would not have been able to come up with new blends. That, thankfully, is on hold. Now, we don't know what is going to take place in the future. However, Judge Mehta asked for briefs from both the FUDA and the cigar industry by the end of, I think it's the end of July. So we will keep an eye on things. Now, this is definitely good news because now a circuit court has ruled the FDA acted capriciously, arbitrarily, that, that there is a definite difference between premium cigars and regular cigarettes or other type of tobacco products. So we will keep an eye on that. That is a very, very big ruling. It means that cigar manufacturers that have had to spend millions and millions of dollars in lawsuits in, for lawyers, for lobbying, uh, on lawsuits, on getting testing, all sorts of ridiculous requirements. That is not by the wayside yet. 
but things are looking up for the cigar industry. Cigarettes are different than cigars. You never see someone getting off an airplane, huddled outside of a building, in rain, snow, sleet, hail, lightning, thunder, running to smoke a cigar. You see cigarette smokers doing that, but not cigar smokers, because we know cigar smokers do not smoke cigars for nicotine. It's not addicting. We know that the nicotine actually dissipates during the natural fermentation process, whereas the cigarette manufacturers, they want to retain the nicotine in the tobacco when they cure. They use something called flu curing. The cigar industry just uses big bulks. They put the tobacco in bolts and they let it sweat out. It gets very hot. They rotate it. The ammonia dissipates from the cigar tobacco leaves. Same thing with the nicotine. Totally different than cigarettes. So we will keep an eye on things. We will keep you informed. But what it means for you as a cigar connoisseur that you can still get new blends, that hopefully the prices will moderate because manufacturers have had to spend millions and millions on attorneys and lobbyists and fighting Washington. They have to get the money from somewhere. That's why you've seen costs raise. I, I know I've talked to several manufacturers who have asked me not to say exactly what they've spent, but they've told me. And I can tell you, it is big money in the seven figures. Even for boutique manufacturers, they are contributing. That hurts them. Good ruling. Let us hope that we can put the FUDA saga after 10-plus years behind us and that as cigar connoisseurs, we can enjoy our cigars in peace and manufacturers can continue creating great new blends, aging cigar tobaccos, aging finished cigars, so that we as cigar connoisseurs are the ultimate beneficiary. The International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony comes your way next. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, one of the new cigars I'm going to be talking about comes from Alec Bradley that they just announced, a new Alec Bradley double broadleaf, but our May 2021, correction, May 2022 Alec Bradley selection was the Alec Bradley Black Market, the Alec Bradley Black Market Esteli, and the Alec Bradley Max. Beautiful stick. One of the hidden gems from Alec Bradley. It gets kind of shuffled because they have so many other great names. You know, whether it is uh, uh, Tempest or Prensado or Black Market, Max kind of gets lost, but they re-blended it 
rebanded it, re-imaged it probably four years ago or so. It is a hidden gem. Nicaraguan wrapper, Costa Rican binder, and a filler blend, four-country filler blend, that comes from Nicaragua, Honduras, Colombia, and Mexico. Smooth, silky, medium to full-bodied. It is beautiful. It comes in five different sizes, and I have pulled out the fix. Five inches in length with a 58 ring gauge. So 58 64 7 inch. Nice, short, fat, squatty cigar. Also comes in the Super Freak, which is an 8.5 by 60. That is a massive cigar. But it is a beautiful stick. Very, very pleasant. Medium, medium plus. Can't go wrong. And for the fix that I have, which is their Super Robusto, looking at probably... Oh, I would say in the $8 or so category, $7, $8. Beautiful stick. That's exactly what I will enjoy today. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Well, my friends uh, over at Drew Estate just sent out some freestyle live swag, and one of the swag items was this giant, very heavy, double-edged stainless steel guillotine. That's what I will use today. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, I've got the, from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, the five-star. Nice big tank, translucent tank. I've got uh, half the tank filled with butane. Five butane jet flames arranged in a pentagon. Five-star, after me, pentagon. It all comes together. It has a built-in piercer as well, or a or a bullet cut, if you will. So a very nice handy lighter, very small, compact, nice amount of butane. That's what I would use today for the cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. All right, let me pull it out of the bag here. Helps if I would do that. I did not do that. So it's still in the cellophane. So let me grab that. There we go. Still in the Officers Club uh, pouch. All right. Let me pull this out. Very nice. Perfect cut. Let me toast the foot of this Alec Bradley Max. Again, a gem. Cocktail of Nicaraguan, Honduran, Colombian, Mexican leaves. Just a beautiful looking cigar. Love the band. Very forward-thinking, very contemporary. Toasting the foot of this giant 58 ring gauge size cigar. Taking my time. No rush. All right, let me now puff and rotate. Nice draw. Oh yeah. Mm. By far, this is my favorite part of the cigar experience. You get those first few puffs of that clean smoke. It is just powerful, overwhelming, tasty, mm, great aroma, mm-hmm, mm. as I blow on the foot of the cigar, got one little area I want to touch up, we want a nice even amber glow, okay, mm. excellent, mm. definitely getting some nice earthy flavors, mm. 
Nice balanced. Mm. Almost a little toasty type of note. Nice. Mm. Now I need something appropriate to combine with this Alec Bradley Max. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, last night, Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister of Japan, was assassinated. Not many, most of the foreign countries do not have exceptional security when their heads of state depart office. Now, there was security, but there was nobody around him, and this, uh, this assassin came from behind with a homemade gun, and right from the back, uh, fired, and then the second shot got Abe, and essentially, I think it hit him, they said, the neck to the, to the chest, and that was it, and uh, pronounced dead about eight hours later, but you could tell pretty much he was, he was done, unfortunately, and President Trump very spoke very highly very complimentary of Abe he and uh, he and Abe enjoyed playing golf together and understood Abe understood the dangers with China with North Korea and that Japan needed to build their defenses remember we essentially wrote the Japanese Constitution after they surrendered in World War II we helped rebuild their nation but part of it was they would not have a military well, things are changing now, and now we do need them to step up and to be more responsible for the security not only of Japan, but also that Asian Pacific region. So in his honor, I have pulled out a bottle of Habike Japanese Harmony Blended Whiskey. Habike, a very, very well-known whiskey that is produced in Japan by Beam Suntory. Premium category has won numerous awards. It was introduced in 1989, originally with age expressions of 17 and 21 years. It is called a new expression called Japanese Harmony. No age statement was introduced in 2015. The new blend uses the same malt and grain whiskeys in the first Hibiki blend, a blend of at least 10 malt and grains from three distilleries aged in five different casks some elements aged up to 20 years. So let me go ahead and pour this into my snifter here. Very nice. Don't have much left because I have a sampler bottle. That's only about 375 milliliters, but just enough to pour in here. Mm, nice notes of honey, a little sweetness on the nose. Let me say cheers. Mmm. Mmm, very nice. Take another sip here. Mmm. And you're looking for a 750 milliliter bottle of the Habike Harmony. You're looking anywhere between, runs from 85 to 105 bucks, 110. Variations all over the place. But certainly very, very pleasant. Let me take another sip here. Mmm. Mmm. Sweetness, honey, little maple. Very pleasant. Mmm. Goes down nicely. It is 86 proof, 43% alcohol by volume. Mmm. As I take a puff of my 
Mm. Alec Bradley Max. Nice harmony together. Nice balance. Medium, medium plus flavors off the cigar. Nice medium notes off the Hibike. Very, very pleasant. Nice mouthfeel too, by the way. Lightly sweet, little bit of a charred aftertaste, but very, very nice. So, I now have my cigar lit, had my libation, which I will sip on throughout the rest of the show. And when we return, we'll tell you about two men. One beta, one alpha. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, temporarily, he resigned a couple of days ago, a couple of nights ago. He is out. Bye-bye. Gone. He ran as a conservative, but he has been more of a globalist liberal than anything else. And the British people and the members of parliament and his party had enough. They resigned, and he will be departing office. He will no longer be the head of the party, and he will stay until a successor is elected or named. Many people wanted him out immediately. Now, you'll remember that right around 2016, the Brits voted to leave Brexit. I remember that very well because it was the summer, it was right around late June of 2016 during the presidential campaign here in the United States. And at that time, when the Brits voted, everybody thought that the Brits would vote to stay and remain in 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 the European Union. Everybody, every pundit said it's going to happen. Nobody believed the polls. And all of a sudden, on on election day, a huge tectonic shift. The Brits said, we don't want to be Europe. We want to be ourselves. We want self-rule. We don't care what they say in Belgium. We care what we say in London. So Brexit was voted, and then, of course, the various governments crapped around and screwed around and come up, came up with all sorts of excuses. And then Boris Johnson was elected as a conservative, saying we're going to implement Brexit. And then what happens? He starts screwing around on Brexit as well. And he starts to become a globalist. He starts talking about how China is a rising power. We need to work with China and trade with China. Well, China is eating everybody's lunch. They don't trade fairly. They steal secrets. They steal proprietary information. Boris has not gotten the memo that China is the enemy of the world. Period. They're the enemy of freedom. They're the enemy of Europe. They're the enemy of the United States. They're the enemy of many other countries. We can thank them for the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. 
And when Boris Johnson, something happened after he got married. He married Carrie Simmons, now Carrie Johnson. 24 years younger. Boris is 58. Carrie is 34. Something happened along the way. His nads were cut off. He was castrated. He became a big-time wussified beta. He started going down the climate change hole that climate change is real. Why? Because the wife, the younger wife, wife number three, started spewing the bullshit about climate change. And then he starts talking about toxic masculinity. A few weeks ago, he talks about how the war in Ukraine wouldn't have happened if it were not for Putin's toxic masculinity and saying that if a female was running Russia, there would not be a war. First of all, if President Donald Trump was still in office, there wouldn't be a war. He told Putin played out, uh, straight up, you invade Ukraine, you better be careful. We're we're, we're not going to screw around. And when Putin said, well, what are you going to do? He said... I'm going to bomb Moscow. And Putin started laughing, and Trump didn't didn't smile, didn't crack anything. And then Putin looked and said, you're serious. Trump said, I'm dead serious. Putin wouldn't dare. But under the fraudulent elected president, uh, brain-dead president, Putin comes marching in. And there's a lot of uh, fault for Ukraine. Trump told Zelensky in September of 2000, what was it, September of 2020 at a U.N. meeting, You got problems with Russia, get with Putin, work them out. And Zelensky slumped in his chair, he rolled his eyes, he shook his head. Trump was right yet again. And Boris Johnson now wants to enter a prolonged war in Ukraine. So now he's the globalist. As far as I'm concerned, if Europe, Germany, France, they want to continue funding Ukraine, be my guest. The United States should not be funding a war in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. Putin is no prize. Let's get that straight. He's a ruthless son of a bitch. He's not coming after us. We're here. He's not attacking a NATO country. That would be a different story per the NATO agreements, the NATO charter, that if one NATO country is attacked, it's the equivalent of all that are attacked. Ukraine's not NATO. But everybody's rushing in. Let the Europeans fund that deal. Instead, we have written checks now for $56 billion. And oh, by the way, Zelensky now wants $7 billion a month in perpetuity. No thank you. We have now spent, in four months, more in Ukraine, $56 billion, than the annual budget of the United States Marine Corps. How screwed up is that? Now, on Bold Alpha next week, our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, if you've not subscribed, do so. Every Thursday, we drop our weekly spirits celebration with Tommy D. of Corona Cigars in the cigar city of uh, Tampa. We feature a different spirit every week to enhance your alpha pursuit pleasure. And then we also talk about other topics. And one of the topics I'm going to get to is the Highland Park Shooter. And I'll do that next week. We have seen a pattern with these young boys that are disenfranchised, that are grabbing guns, shooting things, you know, terrorizing people all over the place. Murder, 
but blatant murders. We saw it in Highland Park. We saw it in Buffalo. We saw it in Uvalde, Texas. And I'll get to that next week. But we keep talking, one of the items is mental health care. What could we have done with that $56 billion for mental health care for our nation's boys, young adults in this country to make sure they don't get off the, uh, get on the wrong track? But instead, we're crapping around spending $56 billion in a war that is not our problem, that is not on our continent. And so now Boris Johnson, perfect example of what happens when you become beta. When you're an alpha, you're a strong leader. All of a sudden, the wife starts influencing him on climate change, which we know is a, is a hoax. It is a wealth transfer scheme. Starts influencing him, talking about toxic masculinity. Let's crap around with Brexit. And oh, by the way, let's become globalists and let's welcome China. Instead of being like President Trump and saying, we are going to take China on head-on. Now, you would think that after the Wuhan virus, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, of the UK, would figure out, these guys aren't our friends. They spread this, this virus, a bio-weapon, and gouging us for all the materials, the personal protective materials, and Boris Johnson now wants to be buddy-buddy with China? His downfall is deserved. When you stray from what you tell your voters and you become a wussified beta, partly because you marry a gal 24 years younger that castrates you and takes away your balls and your alpha card, you deserve everything you get. We will never hear from Boris Johnson again. Goodbye. Good riddance. Take the lib wife with you, we don't want to hear from her. And next time you decide to call out toxic masculinity, next time you decide to be buddy buddies with a communist party that is the absolute enemy of the world, think again. Boris Johnson, bye bye Now on another note, an alpha that we have said goodbye to, one of the leading macho alpha actors in Hollywood, James Caan. I call him Jimmy. We go way back. No, I'm just kidding. It just sounds good, though, doesn't it? Yeah, Jimmy Conn and I go way back. I do know some people that know him uh, that, that work in Hollywood in the motion picture entertainment business. He enjoyed an occasional cigar. Definitely a, an alpha type. Strong alpha. Grew up in the Bronx. Made his mark in Hollywood. I mean, really, when you think about it, Certainly, he started playing Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. That's what he was known for. But he really played in some very well-known other motion pictures. I mean, Brian's Song, which was a 1971 ABC movie of the week where Khan portrayed real-life Chicago Bears running back Brian Piccolo, who's diagnosed with terminal cancer shortly after turning pro. And that was a big... I mean that was a big movie. I mean even people that didn't watch that didn't like football watched that movie. That was a and it's still if you look around on some of the streaming services it's still around and even some of the networks are rerunning that. But just a ton of other movie Rollerball 1975, The Gambler 1974, Thief 1981 at the height of his popularity in the 70s. 
He really could pick any role he wanted. What was interesting, he turned down some very big roles, including the leads in The French Connection, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and Kramer versus Kramer. He also said no to playing Han Solo in Star Wars, Captain Willard in Apocalypse, uh, Cap- Apocalypse Now, and a part in Superman. Now, one of the TV shows that uh, he starred in was a show called Las Vegas, which actually, I enjoyed that show. It was uh, it was on four years on NBC. He played uh, casino owner and manager Ed DeLine, and he was kind of a tough guy, former Marine, fit, fitted perfectly, and on Star's Magic City, he played a mob boss. That was a short-lived series. I think it lasted two years on Stars, And then uh, he played a, uh, an ex-baseball star in the ABC sitcom Back in the Game. But a great actor, certainly an alpha. When you look at him, he was alpha all the way. Just some guys you just look at and you say, alpha. There's no chance they're beta. That's what you want. He exudes alphaness. This is what I'm trying to portray to all of you. It is imperative you exude alphaness. You don't want to be a wussified beta. You don't want somebody to think, are they an alpha or are they a wussified beta? That's not what you want. You want someone, when they look at you, male, female, straight, gay, I don't care. The first thing within the first five seconds, they ought to say, alpha, strong, solid, sharp, no bullshit. You look at a beta, first thing you think, weak, pathetic, pussy. James Kahn was in the former category. Alpha all the way, passed away at the age of 82. Uh, Just some great, there's some great video too of him, uh, great interviews on YouTube I checked out. And he was at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, This has got to be 25 years ago. And there was a roast, I can't remember who it was, but Don Rickles of course, was in attendance and got up and did his shtick for about 10, 12 minutes. And uh, he talked about Jimmy Conn. He and Jim, Jimmy Conn were good friends, and he busted Jimmy Conn's balls a little bit. So we'll have to dig that out, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll post that. But James Conn, alpha, without any question, passed away at the age of 82. Rest in peace. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balanced smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. Be sure to subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, where we talk the alpha male lifestyle, including cigars, libations, technology, grilling, politics, and more. Search Bold Alpha anywhere you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, 
complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. New cigars to inform you about as the Premium Cigar Association convention going on in Las Vegas. First up, Alec Bradley announced that they are launching a double broadleaf. It will use a broadleaf wrapper and a broadleaf... By, by the way, everything that Alec Bradley, and I'm going to tell you about a new cigar Rocky Patel's coming out with, they always come out with winners every year. This year will be no different. The broadleaf, double broadleaf, will use, instead of an American broadleaf, a Connecticut broadleaf, or a Pennsylvania broadleaf, it will use a Honduran broadleaf. It will use fillers from Honduras and Nicaragua. It is being manufactured at Tabacos de Orient in Honduras. It will come in five different sizes. Toro, Gordo, Robusto, Grand Corona. Suggested retail between $9.85 and $12.75. And no word on the ship date, but I have a feeling it's going to be on the medium to medium plus side. And I have been promised as soon as the final... Cigars are done from the aging room. I will have them, and we will feature them at an upcoming litation ceremony. One of the very popular cigars that Rocky Patel launched, hard to believe, 20 years ago. The cigar was revolutionary at the time. It was called The Edge. It is called The Edge. And I remember when Rocky launched that 20 years ago, nobody knew what to expect. At the time, it was introduced... uh, Even though it was introduced in 2004, Rocky began working on it in 2002. So this is the 20th anniversary of them starting working on the blends, on the concept. It's been out 18 years, but they've been working on it 20 years. Originally, it came in two sizes. That was it. I think it was a a Robusto, and I think it was either a Toro or a Pyramid. And they came in crates of 100 cigars with no bands. And then what happened was everybody started to knock them off. So they started to put a band on the very bottom. And then they adjusted, instead of the, the big boxes of 100, they ended up bringing the box size down. Some box sizes were 50, some were 20. And along the way, they've launched, they've had the Maduro, the Sumatra, the Habano, the Corojo, the Connecticut, the Candela, and A10, which is a barber pole type of, uh, of cigar. And originally... It was the I was thinking about it. it was a Toro and a Torpedo. It was not a Robusto. It was a Toro and a Torpedo. And the prices were reasonable. I think when they launched them, they were in the four-buck category, five-buck category, six, somewhere in that. Now it's, of course, more than that. But Rocky has announced the Edge 20th anniversary. Now, this will be a little different because not only will it have a band on the foot, but it's going to have a regular uh, traditional band towards the top third of the cigar. The Edge 20th Anniversary will use a 10-year-aged Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper over a blend of Honduran and Nicaraguan tobaccos. The cigar is going to be dark, so it's it reminds me of some of the wrappers that Rocky used on his early vintage releases. It's going to come in three different sizes. A Robusto, $11 suggested retail. A Toro, 6 inches in length with a 52 ring gauge, $12. And... The Rocky Patel, The Edge, 20th Anniversary, 60, or a Magnum 6x60, 
50. And those will probably start shipping in early fall. And again, I spoke to Rocky oh, two weeks ago, and he told me about these uh, new cigars. He's got a couple other new launches that we'll get to in the upcoming weeks. And I will be seeing Rocky down at Rocky Patel World Headquarters, and we'll smoke some of these cigars, and I will give you the full report. So we're starting to see some new cigars being released. There will be many more coming up. I know that Altadas uh, is announcing a new Romeo and Julieta barber pole cigar that will feature, I believe, a. Uh, it's going to have a. Uh, I think it's going to be a, either a natural or a Connecticut uh, Ecuadorian shade with a Maduro. We'll keep an eye on that. So, this is the time of year, right around July into August, we start seeing the new cigars that are being released. So, once we have more info, we will, of course, pass that along to you. Okay, we've talked about Boeing, the 737 crap. The Max, I've called it the Boeing 737 crap. And let me, there's a, a development that took place this week that I will tell you about. But let me just give you a quick synopsis of the 737 MAX program. Boeing, for years and years, was the engineering leader. They were the aviation and aerospace leader. I mean, when you think about aircraft, the jet age, you think about the 707, and then the 727, and then the 737, and who could forget the queen of the skies, the 747, an engineering marvel. Anybody that looked at a 747, whether you're an aviation, casual observer, you looked at that and you said, that is mammoth. That is incredible. How does that bird fly? How does that plane get in the air? Boeing was composed and comprised of engineers with incredible prowess. And remember, this was before we saw massive computing. Much of it was done by hand back in the day. Mathematical calculations rudimentary wind tunnels, yet they still produced aircraft that were safe, reliable, built like tanks. I mean, you think of the 727. That was a workhorse. That plane was the workhorse of airline fleets for years and years. There are still 727s in the air flying, and they're, what, 50-plus years old. The 737 was launched in the late 60s, mid to late 60s, Initially, primarily for smaller markets, for primarily smaller uh, airlines that were serving shorter routes, smaller cities, whereby they created a plane that was relatively low to the ground, where they could have an air stair on the original 737-100, and then it would be easy. You wouldn't need a giant conveyor. They could, you get two guys loading bags, and they did not have to have a conveyor belt. One guy could be in the cargo hold. The other guy could lift up the bags. That's what it was designed for. And then along the way, the 737-200, a stretch version. And then the 300 came out in the 80s. And then, of course, we saw the 500, the 600, the 700. And Boeing, instead of creating a new clean sheet design like they did with the 757 and the 767 series or the 787, they said, nope. We've got to compete against Airbus, which is coming out with the A320 and A321neos, new engine option. And it was relatively easy for Airbus because those planes were designed in the 80s. They were already set high off the ground because the big 
high bypass turbofan engines required a lot of height to push all that air through that engine to be very fuel efficient. And so Airbus, when they said, now we've got newer engines and we've got some other modifications we can make on these airplanes, they were way ahead of the game with Boeing. And Boeing panicked. Instead of Boeing taking the long run, the long-term view and saying, look, it may take us seven, eight years to get this plane, these planes off and certified, but we want to build a plane worthy of our Boeing name and tradition. Clean sheet design. But instead, they said, well, we have to, we have to panic. And instead of spending $10 billion on a clean sheet, they figured they could do it for $3, 4000000000 billion and create a new series of 737s called the MAX. And there's something that happens when you keep stretching a fuselage. 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 50 feet. Sooner or later, you're better off to just design a new airplane. And then, of course, Boeing made the mistake that when they were negotiating with all these airlines, they said, the reason you should buy the 737 MAX series is because those of you that already operate the 737, we will guarantee that the airplanes will fly the same as the current 737s and will not require additional crew training. So if your pilots are certified on the 737, 600, 700, 800, no problem. They will not require simulator time. The flight deck will be similar. The systems will be similar. Don't worry. And oh, by the way, if we do not make good on that promise, we guarantee by contract that we will pay you, the airline, a million dollars for every plane that you have purchased in the unlikely event that your pilots will require training. And of course, the airlines jumped at it saying, whoa, this is great. We don't have to spend money on new simulators. We don't have to get our, our pilots into the simulators. We don't need new training. It's just a little bit of ground instruction. Where do we sign? And something along the way happened when those big new, what they're called the leap engines, big, big engines, the engines wouldn't fit using the old 737 wings, fuselage, and landing gear. So Boeing had no choice. They had to raise the fuselage, raise the plane off the ground with new landing gear. And because these engines were so big, they had to move them forward of the wing and more in, uh, inward. And what happened was at high power settings, it would cause the nose to pitch up. That is called an inherently unstable aircraft. That doesn't happen on the 787. It doesn't happen on the 757. Why? Because the wings and the fuselage and the plane were all engineered together. So they knew the size of the engines. They knew where they had to uh, have the fuselage, the height. They knew where they had to have the wings. But with the 737 MAX series, they essentially took chicken salad and turned it into chicken shit by changing the engines, which were the whole backbone, or was the whole backbone of the efficiency equation, saying these new 737s will be 30% more efficient than the other 737s. And of course, airlines are looking for fuel efficiency. So the 737 MAX is launched, and the company puts something called the MCAS, the Maneuvering, 
what is called a maneuvering something augmentation system. I remember this earlier, the maneuver, whatever it is, maneuvering augmentation system, the MCAS. And didn't tell the airlines about it and didn't tell pilots about it. And as a pilot myself, one thing we don't like are surprises. When we train in an airplane, we want to know how that airplane's going to handle at low speed, high speed, steep turns, in aerodynamic stalls. How's it going to handle in turbulence? At, at low power settings, at low speed settings. We want to know how the airplane is going to react so we are not surprised. And of course, there were two deadly airplane crashes. Oh, by the way, MCAS's Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. It just came to me. Maneuvering. So what that did was... It was a computer system that would automatically push the nose down, but not tell the pilots. And it would use, it was supposed to use two sensors on the side of the nose of the plane to see the angle of attack. And then it would, the computer would override any manual inputs. One slight problem that the, first of all, the airlines had the option of either buying the standard one, uh, one tube system where basically the indicator, the angle of attack indicator on the plane, you could have one or two. Well, two will compare and say, hey, is there a mismatch? Is there something wrong? So that if one fails, you still have another one that they can compare. Well, most airlines didn't buy the option for a second. In fact, many of them didn't realize there was an option for a second. So what happens? You have one of those angle of attack indicators that fail, and you got all sorts of problems. And so the 737 MAX 8 variants in Ethiopia and Indonesia killed 346 passengers and crew. Shortly thereafter, all the 737 MAXs were, were grounded for two years until the MCAS system could be updated, the airplanes recertified, the pilots could be made aware of the training, and oh, by the way, along the way, Boeing paid a $2.5 billion fine in penalties, compensation for victims' families, and trying to defraud the FAA. And the problem was the FAA allowed Boeing to essentially self-regulate. They could say, oh, we think this is safe. Give it to the FDA, and the FDA would rubber stamp it. Those days, thankfully, will be gone. Now, during that time, Congress looked and said, we need to change how airplanes are certified. And so Congress enacted legislation, enacted a law that required a new alerting system on every airplane, including the Boeing 737 MAX variants. However, when the legislation was passed in 2020, Congress gave Boeing two years to obtain FAA-type certification unless it follows the new flight crew alerting system requirements. Well, along the way, the FAA said, well, now we're going to have a more rigorous testing program. So initially, Boeing said, no problem. By the end of 2022, we'll be able to certify the airplane, no problem. Well, the FAA came in and said, not so fast. We're going to make sure that everything meets this qualification. It's got to meet the certification. Well, it looks as though the 737-10, which is their longest stretch version, 
and their seven, which is the smaller version, will not make the year-end deadline. Thus, they will now be subject to the new legislation, which must have crew alerting system requirements on every airplane. The CEO of Boeing, Dave Calhoun, in an interview with Aviation Week and Space Technology, said that the 737, and I'm quoting here, is a little bit of an all or nothing. This is a risk I'm willing to take. If I lose the fight, I lose the fight. Stating that if they don't get deadline relief from Congress, if Congress doesn't give them a waiver, that they will shut down the 737, 7, and 10 program. And thus, thousands of jobs could be lost at Boeing's plant out in the Seattle area, in Washington State. So he's playing a game of chicken. He's trying to th uh, threaten Congress, saying that, you know, we will, unless they change and give us an exemption for the year-end deadline, then we won't build it. Well, you can threaten whoever you want, Dave Calhoun. The fact is, Boeing clearly, even with a new CEO, is not interested in building safe airplanes, as their CEO, Dave Calhoun, has stated this week. The correct answer, Davy Boy, should have been, we will do whatever it takes. If that means that we have to put a new crew alerting system, we will do so. And we will face the consequences with our airline customers, and we will get people and crews properly trained because safety is number one. What Dave Calhoun is saying is safety is not number one. We don't want to go to the extra expense. And by the way, screw you, Congress. If we don't get this, we're going to run away with our ball and leave all these jobs. And my answer would be, fuck you. Goodbye. Now, Pete DeFazio, who is the ranking member, or, or correction, the chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Democrat from Oregon, has said he is against any extension. Now, DeFazio is, is retiring from Congress January 1. So Boeing is thinking, well, you know what? We'll just wait till the Republicans come in. Not so fast. Any Republican that would give Boeing a waiver should not be supported. This is a matter of life and death of safety. Now, Calhoun said that the certification of the 737-10 without an enhanced crew alerting system should, be not a, should, should not be a problem. And he said that, we'll make the case to all parties. I believe the outcome is going to be favorable. We're going to have a 737-10 flying out there regardless of timing. I don't expect to cancel the program. I don't want anybody to think that. It's just a risk. Well, Pete DeFazio said, bad idea. The answer is no. The optics are bad. The FAA is under the gun. We are not going to sacrifice safety. That's why Congress enacted the legislation. And you got to remember one thing. The fundamental fuselage of the original 737 was designed in 1964. It's now 58 years old. And here's what's interesting. The Boeing Max 737-10, Max 10, is only 12 feet shorter than a Boeing 757-200. An outstanding plane. Boeing could easily bring that fuselage back, bring that plane back, put on new engines, new wings, 
recertify the plane. It's a great airplane. The airlines love that plane. It is a phenomenal airplane. I think it's the best airplane Boeing's ever built. Solid airplane. Pilots that have flown it say it's like a sports car. They love it. Handles great. Passengers love it. It's nice and high, nice and wide. That would, that's exactly what Boeing should do instead of these nonsensical stretching. So put on advanced avionics. Update the cockpit. Put on new engines. Update the wings. More aerodynamic efficiency. That's what Boeing should do, and they would sell a ton of those aircraft instead of regurgitating a 58-year-old aircraft that is not modern. Their avionics on that airplane is, is not modern. It is... 20-year-old technology that's already on there. Private aviation, general aviation, is far better avionics than is what, uh, than, uh, what's on the Boeing 737 MAX series. So for a CEO to come in and saying, say, well, I'm willing you know, to play chicken here and we'll just cancel the program unless we get our way. Cancel it. You're doing the American and the worldwide public, traveling public, a favor because it is an inherently unstable aircraft. And you, CEO Dave Calhoun of Boeing, are a disgrace to the past CEOs and past engineers and dedicated employees who built airplanes with only one standard in mind, and that was safety. They never cut corners until the financial people started to run Boeing and worried more about share price rather than passenger safety and engineering. So the Boeing 737, here we've got a CEO. Instead of saying, yep, we'll do what it takes, I'm with the FAA, and I want the traveling public to know we are willing to meet the standards. Nope, Steady's trying to fight him. My suggestion to the Bo Boeing board, get his ass out. Fire him. He's done nothing for Boeing, period. And by the way, Airbus is kicking the living daylights out of Boeing for good reason. Their engineering has been way ahead. Their innovativeness has been ahead. They're looking far in advance than what Boeing was. Again, Boeing was the gold standard. Now the gold standard for aircraft, without any question, talk to any pilot, they'll tell you, it is Airbus. The old standard used to be the old adage, used to be, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. That's what all the Airline captains would say, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. That has since changed. I talked to a captain recently who has flown both the wide-body Airbus and the narrow-body Airbus and narrow-body and wide-body Boeings. And he stated to me that while he enjoys flying the Boeing, still loves flying that Airbus. Amazing how a shining jewel, a, an incredible company that was the envy of the world, gets destroyed by people who care about, just look at the share price. When you put a financial guy in, and that's what Dave Calhoun is, he's not an engineering type. He is a, he is a financial guy. Came from GE. When you put a financial guy at the helm, look out. Alan Mulally, who ran the, I think the Boeing, I want to say the 767, 757, or maybe the 787 program, 
He should have been made the CEO of Boeing, but without any question. He, he was the president of the commercial airline division. Ford snagged him to be their CEO, and he turned Ford around by building great cars in a short amount of time. He totally revolutionized Ford and got them thinking forwardly. Boeing made the mistake of letting a great executive that would never have allowed the 737 MAX program to end up where it is, and that is a, safe, a danger to the safety of airline passengers. End of discussion. All right, finally, lastly, last but not least, Sergeant Steve, we just came off of July 4th. Did you throw any uh, dogs on the grill? We did. What's your favorite brand of hot dog, if I may ask? Um, I, I love the Salem's hot dogs. Yep. Uh, we just threw, I think, ballpark or whatever my wife picked up. Please, please don't say Oscar Mayer wieners. No, 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 no. I mean, okay, you know, that's I, good. I mean, with the kids, sometimes that's what we'll have, but or they'll okay. have more than anything. But now, is a hot dog in a bun a sandwich? Yes or no? No. Because the definition of a sandwich has to be what? It's got to be on a round bun. I suppose it's got to be between two pieces of bread, although I oh, guess, I guess a hot dog kind of is. Okay. Well, there's good news. For those that are sandwich purists, that love hot dogs but don't believe it's a sandwich, there is a new shape of hot dog that is now in the shape of a hamburger patty. They're called hot dog rounds. They were launched... Uh, a year ago, July 2021, from New Jersey butcher Rastelli's. And they claim that the flatter surface is better holding the condiments and creates more caramelization on the grill. And when you look at it, they look like hot dogs that are put together. And then they have ridges, you know, kind of like a ridge potato chip. So they have like mm -hmm. ridges on the top to allow the condiments to get in those ridges. So it looks like three or four hot dogs are put together, but they're actually kind of uh, designed, they're pressed that way. Rastelli said they set out to improve the hot dog, that many customers were accustomed to slicing their hot dog down the middle before grilling it to increase surface area for caramelization and flavor. So when uh, moms and dads asked if we had any pre-sliced hot dogs, they started thinking. And they created this new hot dog round. Now, many people think that it's bologna, uh, as in bologna, like the bologna eat, not bologna as in you're full of bologna. But they, are, they use black Angus beef, premium pork. They smoke with a blend of woods. They finish it in the oven. And essentially, it is thinly sliced hot dog meat that they, again, put together as this patty. But here is the kicker. A 12-pack of three-and-a-half-ounce hot dogs is 35 bucks. Ouch. That seems to me pretty stiff. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I bought a, uh, a, a dozen Salem's hot dogs, which are now available pretty much along the eastern seaboard. It used to be just the Buffalo area, Salem's Smokehouse Dogs. Now Publix, the big supermarket in the southeast, they carry them. By the way, they had a BOGO just before July 4th. Buy one, get one free. So I BOGO'd. I think, if I'm not mistaken... I paid for a dozen dogs. I want to say it was like six and a half bucks. And my effective cost was $325. Why? Because buy one, get one free. So $35 is pretty stiff for a 12-pack of three and a half ounce hot dogs. Now my question is, 
How does the Skyline Chili fit on this hot dog? Why would you want to? Well, that's right. But wait a minute. For Skyline a Chili. For a wait, wait, Sergeant Steve. Skyline Chili belongs on spaghetti, not on hot dogs. You can put on conies. It's delicious on conies. You can, but I mean, you're aren't you a, a Skyline purist that it only should be eaten on spaghetti? No, which I no, still no, don't no, get. No. I usually I'll get a three way and a coney on the side. Okay, now what's a three way? A three way is uh, ch- uh, spaghetti, chili, cheese. Spaghetti, chili, cheese, and it's not mozzarella or parmesan. No, it's cheddar. It's cheddar. Yeah. In a four-way, yeah. so, you either add beans or onions, and a five-way adds both. So, okay. So basically, you've got spaghetti, you've got cheese, you've got chili, you've got beans, and what's the other thing? Onions. Onions. So basically, they call that the Rolades, the five Rolades special, because you need about five Rolades by the time you're done to get that heartburn out of the system. It, well, you know, I, I've developed a tolerance, I guess, for it. You're so exactly. Your stomach, right. Exactly. You've, you've got the tolerance for it. You've, de- you've developed an immunity to it. They're actually building, I, a, they're building a new one in Orlando now. So, do, do they still have one in the Tampa Bay area? Yeah, there's one in Clearwater. On Gulf Clearwater. Bay okay, well, yeah. maybe we'll check that out one day. There's uh, Clearwater, Bradenton, uh, Naples, Fort Myers. They have several. Okay. You know what? I Listen, when I was commuting up to Cincinnati for uh, business purposes... I did enjoy it occasionally. I mean, it wasn't my favorite thing. I, th- I thought the chili was good. I used to order the chili plain, actually. Sometimes they, uh, certain times of the year, they offered a three-way potato. So they put the chili and cheese on a Oh, I potato. did see that. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, if you want to buy a 24-pack on QVC, they're $109.98. I don't know if they have flex pay for that. But $109.98 for a 24-pack. Look, I, would I try it? Definitely, because when I don't have a hot dog bun, what I have done in the past, if I've got a hamburger bun mm-hmm. and I still have hot dogs left over, I will take the hot dogs, I'll slice them, basically the regular round hot dogs, cut them in half, yep. and then I will slice them so that they look like logs, essentially, on the bun, mm-hmm. which is kind of what this is. I've done that many times. Yeah. So this is just kind of an easier way, and I would definitely give this a try, and maybe it's an idea for Salins or some other hot dog manufacturer to try. So, by the way, Sergeant Steve, for July 4th, what meat products uh, did, did you smoke? A brisket? What'd you smoke? Ribs. ribs. What'd you we do? did ribs. So give us your. Uh, tell us how you smoke the ribs. Give us your your rib recipe. Um, this time we just used the Rendezvous Rub from Memphis. Uh, we went and, easy. No, okay. So now wait a minute. Uh, do you use baby backs or do you like the uh, St. Louis? Uh, I use baby backs. This baby time. backs. Okay. Yep. And so you season them before? Yep, season them before. I keep the big green egg between 225 and 250. I have, I have trouble keeping it below okay. 200. I know Brady, our good friend Brady would always tell us below 212, but right. um, I, I find it the big green egg works a little better about 250, 225 right. to 250. Right. And depending on how big the ribs are, depending on how long it takes. So, you know, I basically just measure the temperature throughout. So this one took, uh, I think it took three and a half hours. Now, do you do you mop them or do you spray them? Nope. nope. No little, mopping, well, no sp- a little bit, a little bit of apple juice and some of the seasonings in the pan will do occasionally, just to keep it moist, so it doesn't, so the edges don't burn a little bit sometimes. All right. And do you wrap them at all? No. Nope. No foil. No butcher paper. Nope. So when they're done, you just take them off, let them rest for what? About a half an hour? Uh, yeah, half an hour, forty-five minutes. We may have been an hour this time. We were. And then do you put some sauce or seasoning on afterwards. Uh, some do, some don't. I don't put it on, I mean, you know, I'll add some occasionally, but I'll eat them plain. I mean, they're dry rub, they're delicious. You don't need sauce. No, I agree. I, I, I've now, in fact, I just picked up last week at one of the restaurant supply stores, I picked up 
the uh, spare ribs, a slab mm-hmm. of spare ribs, because I like the kind of the cartilage on the end. And it's tough to find. You go to Costco, they have the baby backs, and they have the St. Louis cut, but they don't have the spare ribs. So I pick some of those up, and I will probably get those on the smoker. I think Sunday I'm going to do that. I did a brisket, a brisket flat. But the brisket flat I picked had enough towards the point, so there was actually some of that fatty side, and it was it was a little bit it was much thicker than a normal flat. I think it was about I think it was maybe six pounds. And what I did was I trimmed it just a little bit, rounded it out so it had nice aerodynamic flow, and I used a yellow mustard slather with my Bold Alpha Barbecue proprietary rub. And I let that sit. I did both sides, and then I let it sit uncovered in the refrigerator for 48 hours. And then I did my brisket at, for the first hour, 200, second hour, 225, and then the third hour and on 250. Right at around, and by the way, I do not, um, I, don't, I don't spray. I used to spray. I don't anymore, but I do use a water pan in the smoker. And I used a combination uh, in my pellet smoker of, I used the Bear Mountain Gourmet Blend, which is oak, hickory, maple, and cherry. Nice flavor to it. I would say maybe six hours, seven hours in, I ended up just taking a little foil to cover the ends because they were getting a little dark, a little bit, nice, nice bark on it, but didn't want to overdo the bark. And then probably around the seven, eight hour mark, it was actually I wrapped it correction. I about the five hour mark, I put the foil. By about the six hour mark, it was ready to wrap. So I take my butcher paper, I spray it down with apple cider vinegar, place the brisket on it, spray the top with apple cider vinegar, and then I go ahead and wrap it tightly, put it back on, raise the temperature to 275, and about an hour and 40 minutes later. If temperature was around 195, now the ballpark is 200, 203, 205, but it was probe temp. It was probe tender, and that's the the standard to use with brisket. If it's probe tender, like you're putting it into butter, peanut butter, that's exactly what you want. Pulled it, let it rest for about 45 minutes at room temperature, and then I stuck it in a warmer for about three, four hours at 160 degrees. And that continues to get it even juicier and, and just moister and more tender. By the time I pulled it out, ready to slice it, it was magnificent. And, of course, taste tester Baron, my canine, loved it. In fact, Sergeant Steve, I've got a picture that I will send over to you uh, as soon as we conclude of Baron overlooking the brisket. And I will send a few other pictures to see how tender this thing was. I mean, it just, I put a, you know, normally the flat is a little drier. It's not as fatty, as moist as the point. But I've got to tell you, I flicked, cut it, put it right over my finger. It just fell right over. It was so incredibly tender and juicy and succulent. So can never go wrong with brisket. But I will tell you this, it is getting harder and harder to find prime brisket everywhere. Costco. They no longer, at least the, the three Costco's I've been to in the last probably six weeks, they do not carry prime brisket. And they used to carry a whole case full of the big packer briskets, probably 20, 25 full packer briskets, 
prime, and then they'd always carry the choice flats. And they'd always have maybe 15, 18 out. They had a total of five choice full packer briskets, and the weight was only in the – they were small, 11 pounds. They were very, very small. I did pick one up, but not like having that prime brisket where you really get that enjoyable, that nice juiciness, and that marbling really keeps it uh, – during the cook process, uh, just keeps it properly moist. But when I asked the butcher, he said it's a combination, price and combination of availability. So – be on the lookout for that, and I'm not in the mood to buy Wagyu at uh, for a brisket of like 350 bucks. No, thank you. I'll stick with the uh, prime or the choice for now. So anyway, I will try the ribs, Sergeant Steve. I will let you know how that goes. And one other item I want to just get to here is the Officers Club selection for June. We have had a delay. It's probably not going to be until next week, until the June Gurkha selection of the Revenant, the Corojo, the Maduro, and the brand new Connecticut. You are the first in the world. Our Officers Club members are the first in the world to get the brand new Gurkha Revenant Connecticut. I've had it. It's off the charts. And it's only going to be available in sampler packs, not by the box because the wrapper is so limited on this special cigar. You will be the first in the country. We are not doing a July selection. We did not do a July selection. Your credit cards were not billed for July. And we probably will not do an August selection, but we will know that probably next week. There have been massive supply issues with cigar manufacturers, between bands, between getting cigars out of the aging room, between rollers. Many rollers, people don't realize this, from Nicaragua and Honduras, because brainless Biden has opened up the doors. They're literally not showing up the next day. And when other people are asked about it, they said, yeah, they decided they were going to make their way to the United States. So it is affecting the cigar industry as well. So we will keep an eye on things, but I will uh, let you know. But all of you that are members, your credit cards were not charged for July. I will send out an email Monday. I will have an update midday Monday. I will send out an email. Be patient. You will thank me that Gurkha Revenant Connecticut off the charts. It is coming your way. We, we appreciate your patience. So in any event, Make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the Cigar Dave Show podcast here. Give us a five-star review. And also our brother, Bold Alpha Podcast, where we talk about politics and anything that is politically incorrect, anything to do with the alpha male. And also we have our weekly spirit celebration that drops every Thursday. Just do a search wherever you get your podcast, and you will find it. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ash, be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag Red Wave 2024. Live it up. <laughs>